Thank you. Thanks, Pastor Dave. Good morning, church. Welcome to everybody. I want to say hi to not everyone uh, just here, but everybody watching through a screen, whether you're in the Faith Center or the lobby, maybe you're at home. Uh, thanks for joining us, and especially to anyone who's visiting for the first time, if you're a guest, uh, welcome. Thanks for worshiping with us. Uh, we're in this series, if you're new to the church, called Who's My Neighbor? And it's in response to one of the greatest commandments that Jesus gave us, um, and that's to love your neighbor as yourself. And that, that command can be found in a lot of places, right? It could be found in the Old Testament. It's also found in the New Testament, such as Mark chapter 12. And you could also find that command, that verse, on many billboards across the U.S., I don't know if you've heard, but uh, Gavin Newsom, who was reelected as California's governor this past week, has paid for billboards to be put up in states, at least seven other states outside of California, ever since the reversal of Roe v. Wade, welcoming people to California to come and get their abortions here. For example, here's one of the billboards he paid to have put up. It, it reads this, need an abortion? California is ready to help. Visit abortion.ca.gov to learn more. And then here's the thing. He puts a Bible verse on it. And I don't know if you can read it, but he says, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Now, it could be that he truly wants to believe in the authority of scripture and this is his way of loving his neighbors. Or he could be taking a jab at anti-abortionists or mocking Christians who often stand on the word of God for the reasons why they are against abortion. I recognize that among us listening, there may be some of you who support Newsom, you like him, you voted for him, and you have every right to do so. And then I also recognize that there might be some among us who really do not like Governor Newsom. In fact, I've heard people say, I hate him. So I want to ask the church, let's say he truly was ungodly in his motives. I don't know. I don't know him personally, but let's say he was. I want to ask the church, how do we respond to a governor like that? <laughs> no, actually, you honor him. You show him respect. You submit to him. As Jesus says, you love your neighbor as yourself. And guess what? Our leaders above us are included among our neighbors. This is going to be a tough message, guys. Buckle your safety belts. Because the Bible says we ought to love all our neighbors as ourselves. Now, Benjamin Franklin is famous for saying this, that there are two things that are for certain. Help me out. What are those two things? It's death and taxes. For sure you'll have those two things. I want to add to that. I want to say there's at least two other things just as certain. That's authority and that's sin. There will always be authority over you in this lifetime, human authority, and there will always be sin at work inside of us. Right? For everybody here, everybody listening, for the rest of your life, there will always be some human authority over you. And I'm not just talking about over your country and over your state, but also maybe over your workplace. Maybe you have a boss or an employer, or a manager, or a supervisor. In your school, you have a professor or a teacher. In your home, if you're living with your parents, you got guardians, right? Your parents or your grandparents. If, if you're in church, you have spiritual authority over you. You have pastors, life group leaders, ministry leaders. We will always have human authority over us. That's for certain. 
And just as certain as the fact is that you'll have some leader over you, you also have sin at work inside of you. And the two historically have never really gotten along because the sin inside of us gives us this tendency to want to defy and rebel against any authority over us. And yet, the Bible will show us that your leaders above you are among the neighbors who need to see the love of Christ come out of you. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, I want to invite you to pray with me. Let's open up our hearts to the Lord. Then I'll invite you to open up to 1 Peter chapter 2. Okay, let's bow our heads wherever you are. Even if you're at home, let's bow our heads. And before we pray, I want to ask you to just really think about who is the leader above you. Some authority figure that, that you have a hard time liking. Is it a government figure? Is it in the workplace? Is it in your home? Is it your husband? Is it one of your pastors? Let the Lord bring that person to mind. And God, we ask that you would just humble our hearts so that we could hear your word and that we could receive what you want to say to us so that we would be changed to look like Jesus. God, we're going to talk about a, a difficult word today. It's the S word. It's almost like a curse word for some of us. It's the word submit. Help us to see that it's actually written in your word and it's something we ought to do. So teach us, Lord. And I, I get it. It's not natural for us to respond in the ways your, teacher, your, your word teaches us, but help us to do so with the help of your spirit. So speak to us now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles or your apps, open up to 1 Peter chapter 2. This is going to be our text for the entire message. And I'm going to start off by reading verses 13 through 19. And here's what the Apostle Peter writes. He says to the church, he says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. You could pause right there. So, so what's the main idea here that Peter is teaching the people of God? He's saying, yeah, there's going to be leaders that, that you don't like, yet you are to love them. Now, my question is, how do you do that? How do I love a leader above me that I just do not like? Let me give you three suggestions. If you're taking notes, here's the first of the three I want to share with you. Number one, respect their authority. You respect their authority. Now, one way we could respect their authority is to honor them with your actions, right? Let's just start with the obvious. 
Go back to that first verse we read in verse 13. Here, here's the S word that Peter uses that many of us don't like. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. He uses the same word again in verse 18. Slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. A lot of people hate that word, submit. The reality is all that it means is to rank yourselves or place yourselves under an authority. And you just recognize that you come under their lead. So, so you're, you're acknowledging your role to come under your boss or your teacher or your manager or, or your supervisor. That's what you are doing when you submit. And so to honor with your actions is when the one above you says you need to pay your taxes, you pay your taxes. When your professor says you read this and then do this assignment, then you do that assignment. Right? When you, the one above you is telling you that you need to, to, to complete this task here at this job, you submit by completing that task. And many of us do that with no problem. We get the authority that's over us. But what happens if you don't like that person? What if your values are polar opposites from that person? What if you see that person is actually ungodly and unbiblical? Then what do we do? Well, Peter will say, you submit to every human authority. And think about this. Who is Peter living under as he writes this command to obey every human authority? Who is he under? Well, history tells us he was under Emperor Nero. And if you know anything about Emperor Nero, he is one of the most diabolical, one of the most ungodly emperors of Rome. He was a savage persecutor of Christians. Imagine this Christmas is coming up soon, right? One of the things my family, we love to do is we love to go see the Christmas lights, the neighborhoods with all the Christmas lights. Imagine this year I'm with my family and we're, we're going down and we look down the street and there's all these lights and there's all these lamps lining the street. And as we walk down this lit street, we, we go and we look at these lamps and I realize, oh my gosh, that's not a lamp. That's Pastor Jeff from that church down the street. And oh my gosh, this lamp is that kid I grew up with in youth group. And you realize that all these lamps are Christians on fire. I know that sounds really morbid, but it's morbid. He was known to dress up, this is according to, to historians, not the Bible, to historians. He would take Christians, he would dress them up in wax, he would bind them to posts, and then he would light them on fire to light up his personal garden. They provided light for his garden. He would take other Christians, he would dress them up in animal skin, throw them into the arenas to be mauled by bees. That's what he would do to Christians. And so when, when Peter writes to honor every human authority, including your emperor and your governors, he had Nero in mind. He knew what he was saying. He was the most godless and ungodly, and yet the command remains, honor every authority. So listen, whether you agree with them or not, to honor your leader with your actions is to carry out the responsibilities they give to you to respectfully comply with the rules and to stay within the bounds that they set. Now, with that being said, 
There is a difference, and you have to understand, there's a difference between submitting to authorities who are ungodly and your leader making you do something ungodly. There's a difference. And so the exception to this rule, the exception to this rule is when your leader, your human authority is asking you to do something that's in opposition or direct conflict with the one who is above him. When the kings of this earth ask you to do something that's opposite of what the king of kings would say, then you always go with the higher authority. You go with the one who is higher up, and that is God who is on his throne. Even Peter got this, right? P- Peter, who's writing this, telling you to submit to human authority, there are times in the book of Acts for example, when, when Peter and the apostles would go preaching the gospel. Why? Because King Jesus said, go preach my gospel. And then the Jewish leaders told them, you better not preach the gospel. You better keep your mouth shut. What does Peter say in response? Acts chapter 5, verse 29. He says this a couple times, but in Acts 5, 29, he says to them, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We obey God before we obey man. So he acknowledges, he knows that there will be situations where you will have to obey God and defy man. So listen, church, listen to me. If your employer asks you to do something shady, if he asks you to cheat people or illegally change some numbers around, you submit to God as your authority before you do your employer. If one of your pastors asks you to sin in order to cover up his sin, you submit to God as your head before you submit to this servant of God. If your husband is asking you to slander this other person, joining in with him to slander this person to get his back, you submit to Christ as your head before you submit to your husband as your head. God will always be our highest authority and you always submit to him before all so we respect the authority that is placed among us by honoring them with our actions by submitting so long as it's in line or not in conflict with the law of god the law of god and the authority of god will always trump the law of man and authority of man Not only do we honor our leaders with our actions, but we can also honor our leaders with our speech. And this is going to be one of the more challenging things to do when it comes to honor. I have a friend who pastors a church. He's a senior pastor, and, and I have a friend in that same church who was an elder at the church. Both are good friends with each other. One's, both of them are good friends with me. And, and I remember talking to the elder one time about ministry. How's the ministry going? And he just, he was able to say some really good things about the church. Talking about what God was doing. And, and he's talking about what, what the pastor was doing that was good and what his strengths were. And he's just saying good things. And then in that conversation, the elder tells me that he's also praying about what his next season should look like. Where God wants to lead him. And that kind of confused me because I'm thinking if your church is going well and things are going, you know, like, you know, God's bearing fruit there, why would you want to leave that? And I found out 
that a little bit later after that conversation, that elder ended up moving on to another church and is serving at another church now. And I didn't get that. But I found out from the pastor who is my friend and his friend, and as I was talking to the senior pastor, he was telling me that there was actually a lot of difficult conversations that the two had. There are a lot of disagreements, many painful conversations, that that elder just didn't agree with some of the ways he was preaching and the things he was doing. Not that it was wrong, he just didn't agree with it. He thought it could be done better, and that's why he moved on. But what shocked me was when I heard that there was a lot of discontent in him and a lot of things that he didn't agree with, not once in my conversations with that elder did he mention any criticism of the pastor. Not once did he say anything negative about the church or its leader. He quietly moved on. And when I think about that elder's example, I I, I distinctly said to myself, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. See, it's one thing to be able to say good things about a person you don't like in front of them. That's very hard. But it's extremely hard to say good things about a person you don't always like behind their back. That's not normal. That's not normal. And I, and I pray that, church, we would not be normal. I pray that we would not be normal. I've worked a lot of jobs before I went into ministry. I've worked at Jamba Juice. I've worked at Foot Action in the mall. A lot of you guys know I worked at a Hello Kitty store. I've worked in construction. I've worked in the fashion industry. I've worked in the oil industry all before I became a pastor. And I'll tell you what, every place I've worked, people will always criticize and always talk trash about their boss. Always. I think that's the sin in us, right? It's that wanting to rebel and defy authority. We don't like to come under authority. That's the sin in us, but it is true. Across every job I've worked, people will always criticize the one above them. Church, I want to challenge you. Let's be countercultural. Let's be radical in our kindness and our honor. Let's be generous with our words and our respect for our leaders, both publicly and privately. In front of them and behind their back. And I'm not saying just make up. You don't have to lie about things. You don't have to kiss up. But I'm just saying, like, if you see something good, and there probably is something good, as ungodly as there there are things that are good, I would say give praise where praise is due. You don't have to lie or make anything up, but, but if there's something that you see, say it publicly and privately. And if you just can't find anything nice to say, then don't say it at all. Not publicly nor privately. Not out loud nor online. Not on Facebook, not on Twitter. Just don't say it. That's radical. But I'm telling you, when, when you do honor someone publicly, right, people might question you. They might question your motives. You're trying to get a promotion, you're trying to kiss up a bit. They'll question your motives. You just keep doing it. I'm also telling you that when you honor someone behind their back, when you don't always like them or agree with them, when you honor them behind their back, people will not question your motives, but they'll question your heart. How's that heart so pure? How are you being so honoring and respectful and loving? It doesn't make sense to the world. 
Let's be radical. Now, I'll say this one more thing before we move on to our second point. If you have a hard time honoring in your context under whatever authority is above you, you have two options. Okay, you have two options. You could stay or you could leave. Two options. If, if you don't agree with your boss, you don't like the business model, if you don't like the ministry and its mission and its vision, you have an option to stay or you could leave. And if you choose to stay, then you honor while you are there. You pay respect and you be honorable. If you just can't do that, then I encourage you, leave honorably. Leave with honor. That means don't go dragging people's names through the mud. Don't go kicking and screaming. Don't cuss out your boss. Don't go bringing everybody with you in retaliation. You leave honorably. And I'm telling you, if you want to start your next season, your next assignment in a good, God-honoring way, then you better have made sure you left in a good, God-honoring way. If you leave honorably, God, I believe, will bless that and you will begin with honor. So that's the first thing. You respect your authority. Let's go on to number two. How in the world do we love the leaders we don't like? Number two, recognize God's sovereignty. Recognize God's sovereignty. Theologian A.W. Pink says this. I love what he says. He says, as one sees the apparent defeat of the right and the triumph of the wrong. And it seems like Satan were getting the better of the conflict. But as one looks above instead of around, there is plainly visible to the eye of faith a throne. This, then, is our confidence. God is on the throne. I love that. When you look around, you're going to see injustices. You're going to see evil. You're going to see mean bosses, abuse of power, corrupt leadership. Yeah, it's going to look like Satan runs this joint. But he says, look higher. Look up because above these kings will be the king of kings. You will see a throne, and on the throne is a God who is sovereign. And you'll realize he's in total control. Everything is in his hands. And when you see that, you'll realize that the authority over you is there according to his sovereignty and is going to be used for his purposes. And at the same time, you're going to realize that your position under them in whatever season you're in is also going to be used for our sovereign God's purposes. So think about who is that leader over you, near or far, that you don't like right now. Who is that person? Let me ask you this. Is that authority over you? Is that person trying to kill you? Is that the person trying to murder you? I I hope not. That's a rhetorical question. If he is, you got to let us know, all right? Let us know. But probably not. And I ask that because I actually know a guy who's higher up was trying to murder him, trying to kill him and his life. His name was David. And the guy above him was this guy named King Saul. And King Saul hated the fact that David was about to take the throne after him. So what does King Saul do? First Samuel chapter 24 says he gathers 3,000 choice men. 3,000 men to chase down and kill this one man. That's overkill. 
like in, insecure much. Like I got to get 3,000 men to kill this one guy. So they chase after him. They're seeking out David's life. And I love the Bible because it says that as they're pursuing David, King Saul has to relieve himself. That means he has to go to the potty. I love that detail because Disney's not going to give you that detail. Like fairy tales won't tell you when a guy has to go to the potty. But the Bible's just giving us historical fact. King Saul had to relieve himself. And so it says that King Saul finds this cave to go and, and relieve himself. And it says that he takes off his robes. The word there for relieve himself is he had his clothes at his feet. Now here's the story. Check this out. This is either odd or it's God. Because that cave that King Saul happens to choose to relieve himself, deep in the same cave is where David and his men were hiding. Like David and his men are in the depths of that cave, hiding in the darkness. And as they're hiding, they see this guy come in and, and, and go potty. And the, the guys are like, are you kidding me right now? Right? The Lord said, David, that God was going to deliver your enemies into your hands. So David, right? David goes and gets his sword, and he goes really, the Bible says stealthily, right? Like a, like a Jewish ninja. He comes up to the back, and the Bible doesn't say Jewish ninja, but it does say stealthily. He comes up, and instead of stabbing him in the back, what does he do? He cuts a, a little piece off the corner of his robe. Saul has no idea this is going on in the darkness. Like that much off his robe just to show that he came this close to killing the king. And even then, the Bible says, he was struck with guilt. Like, what am I doing? Here's what it says, 1 Samuel 24, verse 5 and 6. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. Lowercase Lord, human Lord. He is the Lord's anointed. To put my hand against him. Seeing that he is the Lord's anointed, what am I doing? And so Saul, Saul finishes going to the bathroom. He gets up and he leaves the cave. And David chases after him. And he starts calling out to King Saul. Verse 10, this day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. He's like, I have no right to touch the Lord's anointed one. Story goes on two chapters later. Okay, 1 Samuel 26, King Saul's not done with this guy. I don't care. I want him dead. So he gathers 3,000 men. And he's like, we're going to go get them. And before they, they go out, they, they spend the night. They want a good night's rest. So they, they, they set out this, this camp. And they're laying out their mats. And all the guys go to sleep. The Bible says that David and his men are hiding. And they find out where King Saul and all his men are sleeping. And all of them are sound asleep. And King David, or not King David, but David takes his servant, Abishai, and it says that they go and they sneak into the camp where all these men are sleeping. And they're walking through this camp and Abishai 
comes across this one man sleeping, and he sees who it is, and he goes, <laughs> right? And, and he gets it. He knows what's going on in David's heart. He's like, David, I get it. Look, you don't want to touch him. Give me the word. Give me the word. One shot. I won't strike twice. I'll get him one. He'll be dead. You'll be king. Right? And David goes, no. No. And he says to him in chapter 26, verse 9, David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? So what does David do instead? Don't touch him. He takes King Saul's spear, which is right there in the ground next to him. He he takes King Saul's water jug, and he runs out of the camp, and says he goes up on this hill. And he wakes everybody up. He goes, hey, hey. And everybody's like, what in the world's going on? He's like, where's King Saul's spear and where's his jug? And everybody's like confused, like who's yelling at us? Why, why is he yelling? And King Saul, you imagine he's just groggy, he's getting up. He's like, what do you mean? Where's my, where's my jug? Where's my spear? <laughs> it's right, it's right, it's, it's right there. And that's David. And imagine what's going on inside of him. He realizes that dude was right at my head with my spear. He could have killed me. And all of a sudden, something happens inside of Saul, and he calls out in 26, verse 21, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son. Because you considered my life precious today, I will not try to harm you again. Surely I've acted like a fool and have been terribly wrong. I've read this story time and time again. And every time I'm so struck by King David's view of God's sovereignty. He had every human reason to retaliate against the king who was trying to do evil to him, to the king who was trying to kill him. And yet because of his view of God's sovereignty, he was able to endure the evil of human authority. And he was able to honor the Lord's anointed. Though the king tried to harm me, I will honor the king of kings. And if God appointed him and anointed him and allowed him to be in his position, who am I to remove him? He is the Lord's anointed. Peter got it, David got it, and and Paul agrees in Romans 13 in the New Testament. Paul says this in verse 1 and 2, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority. There is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. David recognized God's sovereign authority, which allowed him to endure all human authority. And so I ask you, do you believe, do you trust that your president, that your governor, that your professor, that your manager, that your supervisor, that your husband, that your grandparent, that your parents are there in your life according to God's sovereignty? Do you trust that? 
No matter how godly or ungodly they are, God is using them for his sovereign purposes. He's doing something through their leadership. Why? I don't know. His ways are higher than my ways. Why in the world would he ever use evil people in power? I don't know. I've seen him do it, though, in King Nebuchadnezzar, in King Darius, and men throughout history who were totally against God. He used them for his namesake. I've seen it happen. And yet we trust what he's doing, that he's doing something not only in their leadership, but in also, also in our hearts. So we respect their authority. We recognize God's sovereignty. Let me give you one more suggestion. Would you write this down? We remember our priority. Remember your priority. What's important here? What's the most important thing? Right? Why, why do this? Why does it matter to God that he would say it through Peter and through David and through Paul? Why does he keep saying this? Well, remember the first verse that we read. Let's go back to verse 13. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. That means this isn't for your popularity or your reputation or your promotion. This is for the Lord's sake, the sake of his name, for his glory. Then we go to verse 15. For it is God's will, not your will, not your desire. It's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. God is doing something. I want you to think about this. Think about your life. What is one of the best compliments you've ever heard? What's one of the best things you've ever heard said? I think about it, and one of the best compliments I've ever heard came from my previous church. And I'm not about to brag because it wasn't even for me. It was directed toward Monica, who's my wife now, but she wasn't my wife at the time. And I remember we were sitting in a circle, and... You know, it was an exercise, and we were encouraging each other. And, and this one girl in the group says to Monica, she says, Monica, I've tried really hard thinking about all the things we've done, all the things I know about you. I've tried really hard to find something wrong with you. And she says, I can't. She said, I just can't. Isn't that an awesome compliment? I've tried to find something wrong with you, but I, I wish someone would say that about me. The best compliment I got from that church, someone said to me, Greg, you have pretty feet. <laughs> True story. Monica and I still laugh at it because we know I got nasty feet. All right, my feet are ugly, I'm just saying. But, but I've tried some, to find something wrong with you, and I can't. Christians, I want to say to you as citizens, not only of heaven, but also of this land, like our conduct should be so good, so above reproach. And the way we conduct ourselves under our leaders, whether it's in the state or in the church, in the house or in our workplace, we should be so above reproach that as hard as they look, they have nothing bad to say and no blame to give. Because reality, I don't know if you guys realize this, but people are trying to criticize Christianity. People are trying to point out hypocrisy. But how we conduct ourselves, especially in how we respect and honor the authorities above us, it should silence them. It should get rid of any ignorance or any foolish talk against the name of Jesus. And the only thing that our conduct should leave people saying is we've tried so hard to find anything wrong that we could say about the church and we got nothing. We just can't find anything to pin on you Christ followers. 
you Christ followers. Isn't that what we are? We're Christ followers, amen? We follow Christ. We follow his example. And and Peter, as he closes this passage for today, verse 21, he says this, he leaves us with this, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Highlight that word example so that you might follow in his steps. I have you highlight that word example because the, the word in the original language means the writing under. The writing underneath. Remember when we were growing up and we would take a, a drawing or letters and we would put paper over it and then we would trace it just so that we can get an exact copy? That's what we have a picture of. Jesus is that writing underneath. He is what we are supposed to copy our lives over. So that when people see us, what do they see? They see Jesus. He's our example. But what example do we have? Well, Peter recalls the time when, remember, when Jesus came under authority and he was handed over to the authorities? What does he say? Verse 22, we go on. During that time, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile and return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. In fact, highlight that, entrusting himself. He just kept entrusting himself. To who? To God who sits on the throne. That word entrust means to put into the hands of. I'm putting this into your hands. So he was entrusting himself to who? The one who judges, the God on the throne. Which is interesting because if you go back to the story, I thought it was Judas who was putting Jesus into the hands of the Roman authorities. And then I thought it was the Roman authorities putting Jesus into the hands of the governor, Pilate. And then I thought it was the governor, Pilate, putting Jesus into the hands of the Jewish leaders. Jesus was constantly being handed over and being put into the hands of other authorities. In actuality, what was happening? Peter tells us in verse 23, in actuality, no, it was Jesus putting himself in the hands of a sovereign God. He was entrusting himself into the hands of a a father who is sovereign. And because he trusted in the father's sovereignty, he was able to submit to human authority. He knew God was up to something and he had a purpose. What's his purpose? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the priority. That's the priority. When we follow the example of Jesus and we trace our lives over his example, what should people see in us? Jesus. And I'm telling you, respecting authority is one of the hardest things to do until we recognize God's sovereignty and we remember our priority, that this is all for his name's sake, for the glory of God among all men. This is what it's about. Amen? I want to close. I want to close with one story, um, and then we'll continue in worship. But uh, one of my first jobs out of college, I, I worked there for about six years. And I was um, a mark, 
a marketing manager. I managed the marketing team, sales and marketing, and I was in charge of hiring and firing and, and creating a, a plan and creating some goals. And the company was doing well. We were doing well, right? Like profits were coming in, sales were being made. And then the company, we, we kind of hit this weird season. And like sales weren't doing as good. And, and it was just a really weird season. And then my boss, during that time, like he kind of got into this weird space. Like everybody in our company felt it. Like he was just not himself. He was making irrational decisions. We all felt it. And then one of the things that he did that we thought was irrational was he, he started leasing this office building across the street, right across the street. And we're thinking, we don't even have people to fill this office. Why would we get another office space? Right? We don't even have enough supplies to fill that. And, and yet he leases this. And so I went from being a marketing manager to being our professional mover. Right, because instead of spending money to hire, hire a, a moving company, he says, Greg, you're the young guy in the office. Can you move these offices to, to that office? And it wasn't in place of this office. It was in addition. And so I'm moving stuff. And so I'm taking this hand truck, right? We're not going to rent a moving truck because it's right across the street. So I'm taking this hand truck and I'm moving these big old desks, heavy desks. I'm not talking about this cheap Ikea furniture. I'm talking about like, like heavy desks. I'm, I'm doing this on a dolly across the street. I'm, I'm pushing the crosswalk, but I'm going across the street and I'm going up the curb. And this office was on the second floor. So I'm lugging this up the stairs. There's no elevator. I'm going through the stairwell and I'm trying to shimmy my way in. I, I put it in the office. I set up the computer, set up the printers, bring over the file cabinets, bring all the folders, bring all the samples, everything office to office, office to office. And I'm doing this hours, eight hours a day, day after day, week after week. It went on for a long time. Why did it take so long? Because there'd be days when, when the owner would come in, and while I'm doing all this, he would just make a decision. He'd be like, you know what? I like this office down the hall, and then can you move that office over here? And I'm like, oh my gosh, unplug the computer, unplug the printer, move this desk down, shimmy it through the doorway, down the hall, then bring that desk over. And so I'm switching offices, and then he'd come in another day. He'd be like, you know what? Actually, I want... Cindy's office back across the street. Can you move it back across? The oh my gosh! So I'm moving it down the stairwell, through the across, push the crosswalk button, and I'm constantly moving huge furniture and all this stuff, load by load, one at a time. And I was so frustrated. He wouldn't stop making these changes. And it didn't even hit me till yesterday. Yesterday, as I was preparing this message, I wonder if he was trying to get me to resign. Like, I, that, I never thought that, about that before, but maybe he's trying to get me to quit. I was so frustrated. I want to rip every hair out of my head. But I never talked back. I just did it. Never complained. Never yelled at him. I just did it. You're telling me to move this over there. I'll do it. Went on for weeks. Every employee felt so bad for me. They're like, we don't know what's up with him but I just did it. In fact, I worked there a few more years and strangely, he promoted me to other positions in the, in the company. But when I had to quit about six years after being there, I had to quit because I was going to go into seminary full time because I told him I want to go into ministry. 
And before I quit, he called me into his office. And this might be one of the best compliments I've ever heard. He sits me down and he says, hey, Greg, before you leave, can you help me find a replacement for you? I said, of course. I'll ask around. I'll see who wants to work here. He's like, no, 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 no. Not just anybody. He says, will you find me a Christian like you? He said, would you find someone who goes to church like you? That might be one of the best things I've heard because he went on to explain to me, I want somebody who's going to work like they're working for God. The guy's not a Christian. He was an atheist, a Buddhist, actually. And I don't know if he ever became a Christ follower, but I do know that he became aware of a God worth serving. He became aware of a God who's able to impact lives and the way they live in this world. And when Paul talks about our conduct, living in peace and with dig- dignity among our leaders, he says this in 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 3 and 4. He says, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the goal. That's our priority. And so we will respect authority by recognizing God's sovereignty, and we will remember our priority, that Jesus will receive glory and praise and honor. And God would be made known among men. Amen? Amen. Let's all bow our heads. So I want to give you a moment just to talk to God and and respond in your own heart. And ask the Lord to help you do what is not normal. That by the power of his spirit, you would be radical in your faith and the way you live that out. And so help us, God. We want to honor. We want to honor you. And if that means honoring those you've put above us, then help us to do so. Help us to be people who are known for our generous kindness, our generous respect and honor, doing things that we don't need to do, doing kind things to people who don't deserve it, yet we do it because of the God we serve. And so help us to keep looking up, keep looking higher. There is no one greater, no one higher than you, Jesus. You are the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. You're the name above every name. Help us to keep our eyes fixed and to remember who our highest authority is. So we honor you and we sing with all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.